So I'm going to get started by just giving you guys the title of the message today. And I'm not going to write it up right away um, because it's just the outline, the summary, uh, thesis statement, if you will. So the title of the sermon today is Repent for the Kingdom of Heaven is at Hand. Hopefully you guys recognize that. It is from the Bible. So uh, <laughs> not from me, which hopefully the, hopefully the rest is from the Bible, not from me. Um, so a phrase that I had heard a while ago, I don't, at this point I don't even remember who I heard this phrase from, but it's something that, you know, oftentimes you hear a, a phrase or a word that kind of uh, perplexes you or you don't fully understand, or maybe even the person who said it doesn't fully understand what they said, uh, but you spend time, like I did, uh, meditating on it and reflecting on it, and as, as the Lord's recalled it to my memory, give, He's given me more breadth to my understanding of this phrase. Um, that phrase, is it's just two words. Uh, I'll write these up here. Uh, Well, if I wrote well, I'll try not to waste too much time on this. Eternal urgency. Okay, seems like an oxymoron, right? That's why, why I stopped and meditated on it for a while. And uh, so I'm going to kind of get into what this means to me um, and why I think it relates to the sermon title today. We're going to talk about how that relates to God and his plans and what that means for us. You know, as, as you know, God, we, we learn about God that automatically us as his creations, whatever we know about God, has implications for us and how we ought to live. So, that is the summary for today. I'd like to begin in prayer, if you all would join me. Lord, we thank you so much for today. You are an awesome God. You are constantly holding everything that we know to be true, uh, all of your creation, you hold together constantly. And if you let up for one second, our whole world would fall apart. But you don't, because you're a God that is always awake, always caring for us. And your son is always mediating for us, praying for us, pleading for us. And we thank you for that. We pray that you would be here today and meet us here. Open our eyes, Lord, to who you are, who your son is, who your spirit is, that we would grow more and more in love with you, and that uh, you would take these words that are going to be spoken today and, and change them from being mine to, to being yours, Lord. I pray we would all have a humble spirit to hear things that are hard, and that we would all be challenged that we will all be encouraged in your name, Jesus Christ. Amen. So, eternal urgency. I said to me, 
What this means to me is I think it equals the phrase I said earlier. I'll write it up here. Repent. The kingdom of, I keep wanting to say of God, but really of heaven, is at hand. Okay. I'm going to make an argument, if you want, that this phrase makes me think of this. So as I thought about this phrase, I was brought to this, and it helped me understand this more fully and in a better sense. So this, this exact phrase is used twice in Matthew. Um, the first time was actually John the Baptist who said it. It's said a couple other times in the Synoptic Gospels, uh, I think Mark. I don't, I don't know if it's in Luke. I want to say yes. Don't quote me on that. But it's definitely a mark, and in Matthew it's in two places for sure. Um, This exact one with the repent, all of it. And the first time is John the Baptist when he is, you know, preaching in in the wilderness. You know, I'll just read the passage, Matthew 3, verses 2 through 3. This says, this is the ESV, it says, In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. So that second part is saying that, John the Baptist was prophesied about saying that he would make the paths straight for, for Christ. You know, he would lay down the, the foundations, the groundwork, you know, pave the way, kind of preparing hearts and minds for Christ's arrival. And what he chose to say in this endeavor was repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So it's important, Right? Of all of his mission, his whole life was devoted to saying this thing. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So if his goal was to to prepare everyone for Christ's arrival, and he says, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, that means he thinks pretty highly of Christ, and probably would say that the kingdom of heaven being at hand is pretty much Christ is here. Right? And that, what that means for us is we, it means we need to repent. So the second time is Matthew 4.17. Uh, you guys don't need to turn there because it says just this. <laughs> From that time, Jesus began to preach saying, Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He said the same thing, right? And, and his implications were, I'm here. When he said this, uh, the first time he said it, the only time he said this exact thing was at the, after he was in the wilderness and his ministry was beginning. So he's like, all right, I'm here, I'm ready. Kingdom of heaven is at hand. 
So obviously he thought he was bringing the kingdom of heaven as well, not just John, right? So there's two aspects to this I'd like to pull out. Um, this phrase, you see kingdom of heaven. That's where we're going to go into a little bit first because Matthew talks about the kingdom of heaven. In fact, it, it goes more specifically, talks about the gospel of the kingdom. Okay, that's all over Matthew and in other places in the synoptic gospels. So let's see what it says about the kingdom of heaven. Like, let's get an idea of what the kingdom of heaven is. What is coming to earth? What is Christ bringing with him? Because, you know, we call ourselves Christians, right? What's that mean? We're Christ followers. And if we want to be Christ followers, we need to know what he was about so we can be about the same thing, right? So if, if he's saying this is the gospel of the kingdom, that means it's something we should pay very close attention to because it was the heart and core of his ministry. Matthew 4.23 says, And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. All these verses today, by the way, that I'm going to read, uh, if you want to write them down and look further at the context of them, I think that'd be a great thing because it kind of shows what the ministry is that surrounds these words. And, and that's really important. So Matthew 9.35 says something very similar. It says, And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. Almost word for word the same thing. But it's a different occasion. So he was doing this all the time during his ministry. Proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing diseases and afflictions. Then we see this one more time in Matthew twenty four fourteen, which is often a... Uh, I kind of want to get into to expelling some, some wrong ideas about Matthew 24. Uh, so this is like what the ministry is all about. It says, And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So there's the last, the last verse I want to do in, in reference to this kingdom of heaven. Uh, this one is less that like Christ said it and then there was ministry that like surrounded it, you know, the healing, the casting out of demons, those kinds of things. Uh, kind of an idea of what he thought was the gospel, what he came to do. Um, and you can see that in the types of ministries he, he did. Was, so if you want to turn with me to Luke 4, starting in verse 16. I'd write this one down because I think it's a pretty important one. Luke four, sixteen, and we're going to read through 21. Verse 21. Luke four sixteen. This says, And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and as was his custom. Uh, so I want to 
preface this by saying this is also, if you look at Luke, this is also towards the beginning of his ministry, beginning of Christ's ministry. Okay, so it's pretty early on, and he's laying down some like some truth about who he is and kind of setting a tone for how he's going to conduct himself, right? So all of these, all of what he's saying, all of what John said, all of what he's saying about the kingdom of God being at hand is him setting a tone for how he's going to carry himself the rest of his ministry. He's going to walk in the truth of what he said early on. So Luke 4, 16. And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he, un- and he rolled up the scroll, and giving it back to the attendant, and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. If you guys want to look at the reference there, that's, uh, I believe it's Isaiah 61 that that's referenced in. Um, that's a big deal. He's like saying, I'm, gonna, I'm the one that was prophesied about that's going to bring healing and liberty. And, and I'm going to open the eyes of the blind. Uh, that's a big part of what I want to I get at today is, is this idea of blindness. Um, you know that Christ, there were two miracles in the New Testament, as far as I know, that weren't done in the Old Testament. Two, two things. One of those things was, uh, was opening the, the eyes of the blind. Christ healed blind men. That wasn't done in the Old Testament. There was something different about his ministry that like, you know, you needed me for this. You needed me to open your eyes. Even the prophets of old didn't do this for you. You didn't do it for yourselves. Your leaders and teachers didn't do it for you. In fact, they were blind themselves oftentimes. You needed me to open your eyes. Now, I'm going to lay down the second part here that I think is is the other aspect um, is why we're blind. Because there's, there's no doubt in Scripture that we're blind. Okay? I want to get that through. Like, if you think you've got it figured out, and that you see everything, and you know, uh, and that you are a good Christian, uh, you're blind. And it's laid out in Scripture, and if you don't see that, it's because you're blind. Okay? And you need your eyes open. So the second part is repent. The second aspect. Why do we need to repent? Why would he say, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand? 
Wasn't he coming to his people that were already sacrificing for their sins and, and holding up the high festivals and, uh, you know, praying and all kinds of things? You know, like they, were, they thought they were in pretty good standing. Uh, they thought they were pretty righteous people. And he came and he said, repent. I'll get to, to show you that it wasn't just, he wasn't just saying this, you know, Christ barely spoke to Gentiles. Most of what he was speaking to was his own people, the Jews, right? And he was telling them, repent. So if you ever hear a pastor come up and tell you repent, like Stephen did last Sunday, uh, you should probably heed his warning. <laughs> repent. Because even the, even the Jews who, by the way, were probably way more righteous than we are, <laughs> way better people than we are by, by uh, normal, the way we see it, um, by works, they were probably better people than us. Uh, but that's not what they're being judged off of, is how well they keep the law. Uh, because on the outside, right? That's, that's the judgment to them, but they're still condemned because they didn't, even if you like, miss one point of the law, the whole law condemns you. And none of us can hold up the entire law, and neither could they. So if you think you're like better at holding up the law than them, I'd ask you if you've memorized the first five books of the Bible, like most of them had by the time they were, what, 12? No. We're not, we're not nearly as good at holding up the law, and yet they were still condemned. So we're definitely condemned. By the law. So open with me to Ephesians four seventeen. Ephesians four seventeen. And Paul is saying right here, he says, Now this I say and testify in the Lord. He's claiming that he is speaking. Uh, on behalf of the Lord, right? I'm saying this in the Lord, that it's righteous that I say this, and it's not just me saying it, it's the Lord saying it to you. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of their of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. He's saying they can't even understand because they've been separated, alienated, and separated from God, cast away, ostracized, set apart from God because of the ignorance that's in them and the hardness of heart. You know, a lot of times, hardness of heart, uh, you, a way you can think of it is bitterness and unforgiveness or pride, right? If you're unwilling to say, I'm probably, I may be wrong, I'm probably wrong, I'm not seeing something, then you're probably hard of heart. 
If you stand in the, or sit in the pews on Sundays and you hear a convicting message and think, wow, you know who needs to hear that? The person behind me. <laughs> you know, that person. I can think of 10 people who could hear this, but not me, right? You want to know that the healthiest people I know are the people who regularly tell me like they were really convicted by the message themselves. Those are the people that are usually healthiest. They're the people that aren't alienated from God, that have, have light shed on their understanding, right? That aren't darkened in their understanding. I mean, it even says in the futility of their minds. It's like even if you tried to think of like the right way, you can't because it's futile. You can't. Until like, like your hardness of heart is taken away. This is further further shown, and I'm this isn't just a New Testament idea. It's further shown in Isaiah fifty nine verse two, well verses one and two, it says, "Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened, that it cannot save, or his ear dull." that it cannot hear. That seems pretty good. But the second part is, but your iniquities, but your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear you. That's heavy. It's saying that like, God's perfectly capable of saving you, but... Your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. He's not talking, I wanted to to add this first because now, you know, the last one was talking about Gentiles, which if you really study that word out, Paul uses it as a reference to people not in the church. Gentiles were no longer non-Jews, it was non-Christians, right? But this one, Isaiah 59 too, was spoken to the Jewish people. People that were supposed to be uh, God's people. And he's saying, even you, your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. And you can cry out all you want, but because of your sins, he won't hear you. That's super scary. <laughs> because what did I say earlier? Like, we're all sinners, Right? But he is the Savior. He does save us. I mean, uh, that's, that's what Christ said when he was coming to earth, when he started his ministry. He came to set at liberty, right? He came to, to free people, to open the blind eyes. He said, you can't remove your hard heart. You can't uh, open your blind eyes. You, when was the last time you heard of a slave freeing themselves. That's kind of like, if you could do that, why wouldn't you? And you're not really a slave. Right? So we're, I want to get across the idea that like we're totally helpless. <laughs> right? That we uh, need Christ. Right? And we do. So, 
Uh, this is a promising thing because he, like I said, his whole gospel, the gospel of the kingdom was setting us free and opening our eyes. So despite our, our blindness, right, when we come to repent, the Lord's going to give us the strength to repent. He's going to change our hearts so that we can repent. He's going to make us say, Lord, I am on my hands and knees before you. I can't make myself better. And that's, that's something that uh, I want to push into a little bit more of a, it's not, a lot of us here have experienced this, right? So you, it, while it's good to hear the gospel always, um, you know, I'm not, I'm not out here like trying to say like, all of you need to repent right now because you're not doing it already. Like I know a lot of us are continually repenting, Right. And so I don't want to just serve this as like a, a simple reminder to us to do that. It's something deeper. Uh, now that we've repented and seen the kingdom of God is at hand, we need to be the vehicles that brings that to the rest of the world. That's what the Great Commission's about. That's kind of uh, what Matthew 24 is about, right? Uh, you go in Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20, you know, the Great Commission, like all these things that say, like, take this gospel and preach it to all nations. We'll go back to that uh, Matthew 24 that says, and this gospel of the kingdom will be, will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. You know, we're all waiting for like this, this end, this return of Christ. But the fact is, like, we haven't reached all the nations yet. And until we do, why would we think Christ would come back? He said he's, like, it's, that's not going to happen until, until all the nations have been reached. Okay? Don't live for that. Don't live for, and the end will come. Live for all the nations will hear the gospel of the kingdom. That's what, we're, that's what we're called to live for as Christians. Not the end will come. We'll be, we'll be saved from our trials and tribulations. Right? You already have been. You've already been rescued from your sin. What more is there? It's the advancement of his kingdom. So let's live for that. So this vision of the future uh, is in the Old Testament as well as the new. So, you know, I referenced uh, the Great Commission and stuff, and I hope we all have some of those verses memorized, reasons for us to go evangelizing and things like that. Um, basically doing what, what Christ has done. But it was even in the Old Testament it spoke about things like this. Isaiah 2, two says, It shall come to pass in the latter days... The, the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be lifted up above the hills and all the nations shall flow to it. And many peoples shall come and say, come, let us go up to the mountains of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, and he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths. So an important idea here is this kingdom uh, verbiage 
words uh, is used all throughout Scripture, Old Testament, New Testament, and it's super important to understand who it's talking about, right? The kingdom of God is his people, right? If you're in a kingdom, you're living by the king's rule. (laughs) That's super simple. Whenever I was doing uh, catechism classes, and I've even done this with with the younger kids, they get this concept. When I ask them, who's a king? Let's say the person in charge. Where's a kingdom? Wherever the king is, where his rule is, right? Like little kids can get this, but I have like a hard time explaining it to, to college students, okay? Because, you know, they're all like anarchy or whatever, you know, like socialism. Uh, I don't know whatever college students are saying these days. It's probably wrong. Uh, <laughs> They don't get the concept as, as like little kids do, you know? They get it. So what, what this verse is saying, what Christ is saying, is he's going to advance his kingdom. So there's going to be more and more people living by his rules. But it's saying even the people in other nations, right? Which is, means they're not God's people, right? Are still going to see at least the fruit of what his kingdom is and want to learn his ways. You know, we got this idea that God's here to save every single person. It's like, no, he's here for his kingdom. There will still be other people that don't like fall totally under his rule, right? Because he's not there here for them. He's here for his elect. He's here for his people. There will still be other people. But even they will be blessed, by his people and his rule. Even they will at least see the fruit. They may not want to like give up their kingdoms, but they'll still at least see his, his fruit and want to learn some of his ways, right? That's like, that's the extent that we have to look forward to as Christians. You know, we're not looking forward to a world where it's just like, the only way that God like really truly rules the world is that if everyone's a Christian, like, no. It's if Christianity is so, so spread throughout the gospel that everyone knows that God is good, even if they don't totally bend and eat him. Even if they don't totally follow him, they still see that God is good and their God is evil. To some degree. They probably still don't want to repent and see that they're evil, but they see that God's good at least. Right? That's what, like, I want to get through that... This idea like we're waiting for God to like just take us out of this earth and that he has no work for us here. Okay. He has a lot of work for us here. He's changed our hearts so that we can do this work. He made us from even Adam before, before sin had entered the earth, he gave him work to do. He said, be fruitful and multiply and subdue the earth. That was always the mission. That's always been the mission. That should be our mission. That should be something that we take into our heart and think about every day when we wake up. How, I'm gonna, how am I going to be fruitful today? How am I going to multiply your kingdom? And how am I going to subdue the earth? Right? So this was really the first... Uh, we talk about Abraham as the father of, of Israel and the father of what we really like, Christianity, right? Um, 
he was given a, a covenant from the Lord. And I want to I wanna go through that covenant and see, show you guys that this has been it from the beginning. This has been the, the call from the beginning. So Genesis 17, verse 4 is where we're going to start. Genesis 17, verse 4. It says, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you a father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful. Not just a little fruitful. Exceedingly fruitful. And I will make you into nations. And kings shall come to you. Shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between you and your offspring. After you. Throughout their generations. For an everlasting covenant to be a God to you and to your offspring after you. And then I'm going to follow this up with Genesis 22. I want to, this covenant was retold to Abraham, Abram, Abraham, like a ton of times. I haven't counted how many times. I probably should. It would be a good study. But he was told it a lot. Um, so he's told it again in Genesis 22, starting at verse 17. It says, I will surely bless you, And I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. It didn't say all the nations will be blessed because they obeyed my voice. It said all the nations will be blessed because you obeyed my voice. If you're not making the world around you better, you're not living out this call. If you're not making your workplace a better place to work for your your peers or your boss, you're not living this out. If you're not fixing up your house and making your yard beautiful, you're not living this out. If you're not making your children better than you were, you're not living this out. Like, uh, I don't know how many of you know Ray Nethery, but uh, he's super, super awesome guy, right? He's, he's Greg's pastor, right? So this guy is, is still doing ministry, and I think he's in his 90s now. And he's still feeding into people's lives regularly. Uh, and he fed into my life. He, you know, one of the things that he told me is he's like, God's given you a garden, You know, Adam had his garden, and we each have our garden. It's a realm of space that we inhabit that we're called to subdue for the kingdom of God. And wherever you are, that's your garden. Wherever you live, whoever your friends are, whoever your acquaintances are, whoever your family is, you know, whatever your job is, you're called to tend that garden and make it beautiful for God. Not, not to wait until God takes us out of our garden, <laughs> into his garden, right? We're called to make our garden look like his, and he'll help us with that. So don't, don't wait around to be taken to God's garden. Like, do something here in your garden now. Like, 
Be fruitful, multiply, and subdue the earth. It's super important, and I think we miss that a lot. So I want to get to this last part, and I guess this is, uh, I guess you could say this is the third aspect. Um, So sorry for telling you there are two aspects. There's still words on the board. I forgot about Is at hand. So I told you eternal urgency. So I've kind of just laid in like urgency into you, I hope. And hopefully I lay more into you urgency. And I hope by the end of this, you guys are like, man, what am I doing with my life? I don't want to waste it. Uh, Because that should be something you experience on Sundays. (laughs) Whenever you open scripture, you should be like, what am I doing with my life? (laughs) Right? Uh, I think it's, John Piper has a book called Don't Waste Your Life. And like a really, uh, it's kind of funny, but I love the concept of it. Is, is I think it's from this book. I haven't read it, so don't quote me on it. Uh, he has this his phrase of kind of like, don't waste your life collecting seashells in your old age. <laughs> you know, that's like, we're, the, as Christians, right, we see our Christian life very similar to how we see our, our physical life. And, and in physical lives, we're all waiting for retirement where we get to go to the beach and collect seashells the rest of our lives, right? But as Christians, a lot of us think the same way. <laughs> we're going to do the hard work. You know, we, we became Christians. We repented. We read our Bibles once all the way through, maybe. And now we get to live in Christian retirement and wait for you know, retirement in heaven where we just get to collect seashells the rest of our lives. I know a few Christians who are so motivated by this call to action that they plan their life around working really hard so that financially they can retire in their 50s so that they can do ministry 24-7 the rest of their lives. And that's like, that's hard. That's hard to do. You've got to do a lot of work in your, your early years. You've got to sacrifice vacations. You've got to sacrifice uh, working a cushy job. You know, where you got to sacrifice working a, a, like, a job that's not really going anywhere. You know, you don't get to, to go to school for, like, a, you know, a degree that doesn't have jobs because you got to make money so that you can do ministry for the Lord. You can't waste four years at a college. You can't take a year off to go travel in Europe or whatever. If you want to retire by the time you're 50 so that you can spend the rest of your life doing ministry, you got to be on it all day, every day. And there's people out there in America even, in India, talk to, talk to David Yamarti. This guy is like all on board. He's like, even when I retire, which he's probably going to retire at a pretty young age, he's got a good job and he works very hard. He's traveling around the country all the time, day and night, and he took his education very seriously. 
And he's going to do more ministry than most full-time pastors are going to do. Because they're going to work 40 hours for the church a week, get paid. And then when they're, I don't know, 60, 70, they'll retire and leave the church to another pastor. And then their ministry stops. That's what pastors do in America. We're called to be more than that, guys. Every one of us can be that. Every one of us can take this and say, I'm not going to retire from, from the, the call that God's given me. Because he didn't give us a time frame. He's not like, work, do this until you're 60. <laughs> he said, do it until the end comes, which is going to be after our generation dies and is far gone. Because not all nations have been reached yet. <laughs> We're so far from that. So we gotta make we gotta we gotta be ready to live this out till we're dead. This is a covenant. You know, we talk about marriage covenants. It's not like do marriage until you're ready for retirement. <laughs> it's still death do us part. <laughs> right? That's how covenants in, in the Bible work. There's no end <laughs> except death. <laughs> and we're not gonna die in a way that separates us from the spirit that is God. <laughs> so i got to wrap this up. We've got, we've got a speaker coming. <laughs> so this is the third part, the is at hand. I want to get to the point that, that God is eternal. So, so when, when we look at the future and the end game, and we look at Christ in the past, you know, oftentimes we want to think that we're between two major events. But Christ said he is at hand. He's an eternal God, the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And when he says he's at hand, that means everything he did in the past and is going to do in our future is all encompassed in who he is and who he is to us today. So when we live, we live for the same Christ who died on the cross it's just as real and impactful and important as it was then, as it is today. Just as important. Just as motivating. And when we think to the future of all nations being blessed by his people, by his kingdom, by coming to him and looking at his ways, that's just as imp impactful and important as it should be to us today. We shouldn't just be waiting for the next generation to do this. We should be laying foundations for them to, to do this in our stead when we pass away. So that actually our work goes beyond retirement and beyond our death because our children are doing our work. So the Pharisees were really blind to this. They didn't see Christ. They truly were blind. And if you don't, like, that's... One of the big things about Scripture, you know, they were supposed to be the, the eyes that the rest, of the rest of the people saw God because they were the ones up there teaching them what Scripture said. They were the ones like the eyes that Scripture came through to the rest of the body. And they were blind. And oftentimes we're blind. So, I'll end with the conclusion. When we pray the words found in the Lord's Prayer, your kingdom come, 
Your will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. I hope we don't say this in vain. It's not just a call to God for his action. It's a call to ourselves for action. Action in in repentance. Action in preaching the gospel. Action in giving ourselves fully to God and his great and eternal plans that are far beyond our finite minds and our finite time and how we think about the world. If we don't humble ourselves, we will not only miss out on being a part of his plans, we won't even get to witness them due to our blindness. And that's, that's a tragedy. If you don't even get to see how great God is and what he's going to do. So we should be ready to humble ourselves. So uh, that's it. Let's close in prayer. Lord, I thank you so much for your word and your plans that they're good and that, that the world is totally at your hands, Lord, that you can, you can hear and you can open our blind eyes and you can restore your world and that you're going to use us to do it, Lord. Let us be a part of that. Help us to hear this and humble ourselves and be called to a higher standard to be motivated, Lord. Praise us in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.